Hey, this is the Hero of Time Beta, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast because uh, GM Dave keeps complaining that we don't send him enough bumpers. T'was a long time ago, but not so far away. A podcast was preparing for a very big day. The nerds were assembled in their echo base, awaiting the visage of GM Dave's face. With TG and Chris, the rest of the cast... Only ten more episodes for this magic to last. They patiently sat, awaiting their guest, who created a game system, one of the best. They weren't going to ask him about future books, or droids, or Jedi, or troopers, or crooks. A question perplexing they wanted to rid. Who is the father of TG's unborn kid? The joke was, not Chris, by all report, alluding to problems of a marital sort. But I want to know, Chris yelled with a frown. I couldn't do it, I was right out of town. Could it be Sam Witwer, that downright cool pimp? If he was the father, the kid wouldn't be a wimp. What about Vader, the Empire's Dark Lord? The kid could be leader of a white-armored horde. Could it be you, Master Rodney, who helped with that bun? No, wait, you're conceiving a different dark son. What about Tiger, or Cody, or that drunkard TK? Rodney rolled his eyes and just sighed, Oy vey! See, on this matter I've thought, and you'll be quite glad who this young kid will grow up to call as their dad. Not Vader, or TK, or Cody, or Sam. Not Tiger, but of him we don't give a damn. No mysteries of cheaters, no drunk nights, that's it. Besides, I think Echo Base is tired of this bit. If you were out of town, then the child, of course, was conceived by a wondrous blessing of the Force. Tis the season for miracles, such as it is. Now enough of this foolishness, on with the biz! I've got books to write and fanboys to please, and if you're all good, my next book I'll tease! The cast was ecstatic, the base full of cheer! Chris kissed his wife, TG, and Dave had a beer! On with the show, the base cried with glee! And it's time to end this odd parody. To the great gamer nation, you damn odd mix, we never listen to Order 66. Happy Christmas, you guys. Let your holidays be bright. May the Force be with you all. And to all, a good night. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. Execute Order 66. This episode of the Order 66 podcast brought to you by the generous contributions of D20 Radio subscribers. Robert Gates, Jim Gallant, Gabor Zabresco, and Scott and Debbie Sloan. Thank you very much. This episode is for you guys. Well, well, well. Welcome back, everyone, to episode number 990 of the Order 66 podcast. My name is GM Dave. I will be one of your hosts this evening. And uh, always, always, always want to introduce the guy, the man, the legend, GM Chris. What is up, Gamer Nation? Le- legend? I'm a legend? I don't know. I don't know about that. I just, you know. Eh, uh, I, I don't know, buddy. I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. 
Uh, well, I'm glad to be here. And for those of you who may be tuning into this uh, this wonderful, uh, obviously close to Christmas episode of the Order 66 podcast for the very first time, this is, of course, the Order 66 podcast, the only podcast entirely devoted to Star Wars Saga Edition role-playing. And uh, we got quite a show lined up tonight. Ah, because, that we uh, do. Joining us shortly, we will have some, some very special guests, if I'm not mistaken. We will have some very, very special guests. And... I can't wait for that. In fact, I, I can't wait for it so much that we're just going to go roll right in to our news and throw it to the news desk right quick. Accessing. Ah, good. New acquisitions. Greetings, Gamer Nation. My designation is KCK Sim, and this is your Hollow News Net update. Ah, yes. Ah, yes. Yes. Well, it's actually been a, a, a pretty productive um, past week or so on the network. We've had quite a few podcasts come up. A uh, ton. A but, ton. That's a big but. A, a big butt, but one is uh, awesome. Dave, have you had a chance to listen to the latest episode of Minnie's Mayhem yet? Um, no, that's the one with <laughs> Gary on it, and no, I yeah. haven't. I listened I, uh, to it this past week. Oh, have you? Okay, I, I, oh, dude. I got yeah. small but vicious like two, and I and they had like two episodes that went up, and I haven't listened to either one of them, and and then Minnie's is next, so I'm I'm still a little behind. Well, it's a great cast. Our featured podcast of the week is the latest episode of Minnie's Mayhem, episode 26, A Jedi Master and the Faceless Horde. Duh. <laughs> Duh. Uh, yeah, very, very funny. Brev, Tenny, and the wonderful Dougie welcome special guest and Jedi counselor Gary Sarley. And they, they pretty much jaw the line for just about two hours uh, with the Minnie's Maniacs all gathering together in, in force. They talk about Minnie's scenarios, role-playing, and tips and tricks for making your games more fun. Um, they have a real good blast in that episode, and you guys should definitely give it a listen. Uh, I was cracking up several times. They uh, they had a lot of fun. So always good to have special guests on, and uh, you guys should definitely give it a listen. Heck yeah. But Dave, if they want to find that episode, or more importantly, to, to check where other episodes from the D20 Radio Network may have posted up, where, for heaven's sake, where might they do that? Well, I'm thinking that you need to go to d20radio.com. Oh. And then check out the forums at d20radio.com slash forum, and you will have a listing of all the shows and be able to speak your mind with all 1,000 of our members. Ooh. Exactly 1,000, I might add. We hit the 1,000 mark. We did. That is brilliant. Absolutely and, brilliant. And at least that, that's, was, that's on the inner tubes thingies, right? Yeah. At least that was somebody with a good name because it was Darth Pucci. We got to do something special for Darth Pucci. Uh, I figure I'll give him a shout out or something. Oh man, got to do it! Fantastic. So I just did Darth uh, Pucci. Thank you very much. Thousands, thousands, thousands. Thousand. He may not even be part of our show. I mean, we got fifteen shows on the network, so. This is true. This is true. You never know. Darth Pucci. Very nice. Absolutely. So, um, do we have any juicy bits of web goodness out there? Actually. Actually, yes. Wow. We do have a juicy bit of web goodness. 
Um, for you minis fanatics, check out the new Star Wars mini scenario written by D20 Radio's own Sterling Hershey. Uh, 25 to Rescue. Uh, this is a clone versus separatist scenario, which promises to be a lot of fun. I was reading through it today. I, honestly, I can't wait to go over to Brev's and run it. Um, and you guys can check this out right now at www.wizards.com slash Star Wars. Awesome. So we have a Tam Saunders, which I think is Tom Sanders in the chat room. Oh. And Santa's girl. Who's Santa's girl? Ooh, I I, I don't I don't I don't know. Hmm. That would be Mrs. Claus, would it not be? Uh, it might be, I don't know. You never know. Oh, yes. We have uh, breaking Holland at news to report. Oh, <gasps> Good evening. This is the Holonet News Network. I'm Luke Lowbrow. This is an all-points bulletin. Disgraced war hero Commander Cody is a wanted fugitive from justice. The backstabbing clone is wanted for treason against the Empire, giving aid and comfort to terrorists, five misdemeanor counts of public drunkenness, three counts of indecent exposure, one count of assaulting a fast food employee at a Jawa Juice cabana, and 27,524 parking violations. We have produced an artist rendering of Commander Cody, and he looks exactly like one of the other 10,000 surviving Django-fed clones. However, his distinguishing characteristic is that he answers to the name Commander Cody, or just Cody if you're on a first-name basis with him. In related news, a terrorist attack has crippled an Imperial mining operation on Antar IV. Considering the state of the galactic economy, the loss of any additional mining facilities is expected to have an adverse reaction on the depressed mineral markets, since the failure of the asteroid real estate market last year. Rampant speculation in the asteroid market has even led the corporate sector authority to request a $3 trillion credit bailout package. Last year, price inflation crippled the economy based on the assumption that more crime lords and secret organizations would choose to locate their base of operations inside of asteroids, adding glitz and glamour to what was previously barren space, kind of like Las Vegas. This was supposed to then lead the middle class to purchase asteroids as vacation homes, but the demand did not materialize due to several high-profile space slug infestations, and the cold hard fact that living inside a floating rock is pretty much a real drag. Across the galaxy, at least 20,000 planned asteroid condominium projects remain vacant, or are being converted into college dormitories. On the planet Sol 3, wilderness enthusiasts and mysterious phenomenon hunters released a statement that they had finally secured irrefutable evidence proving the existence of the legendary Bigfoot creature. Unfortunately, two hours later, a Wookiee camper by the name of Kerchief turned himself in to local authorities and apologized for camping without a proper permit. In response to the data breach of his Facebook account, Lord Vader has migrated to the MySpace social networking platform. However... None of the Imperial officers who were his friends on Facebook have made the transition to the new site. One officer we interviewed said he'd rather have Vader choke him to death than have a MySpace account. This has been a Holonet News Network update. Good night and good luck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's one oh. of the best. I mean, it keeps getting better, but that one was hilarious. Ah, that one had me almost crying for my laughter. That is that is rather rather funny. Yeah. So, all right. Um, wanted to acknowledge uh, the ninety-five people in Echo Base uh, right about now. Chat room. Thank you very much for showing up. 
to this wonderful presentation that we call the Order 66 podcast with friends. And so it's like... like with friends. Like chewy lemon heads and friends. <laughs> Their greatness goes on and on and on. And to help bring us that greatness, Jedi Master, Jedi... I don't know, Grandmaster... Do we, is that what we call him? Rodney Thompson? Yes, uh, I guess so. Uh, uh, he's not a blue glowy as of yet, so we're trying to commune with him as we speak. Uh, Mr. Thompson, are you there, sir? I am here, yes. Thank you for having me. Oh, wow. See, look at that. The <laughs> chat room just went up 3%. <laughs> well, my milkshake brings all the boys to the yard, as we've said before. So. Of course. Damn right. Awesome. Yeah, it's, 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 Dave, I understand his milkshake is actually better than yours. It probably is, actually. I, um, uh, you know, I'm not proud. I'll admit it. No, right, let's not let this become a whole thing. No, no. But, I mean, seriously, could, could, you, could you teach us? I'd have I mean, to charge. Okay. Ah, uh, see, just, that's it. Just cl- clarifying that. All right. All right. Let's get that out of the way now so that we don't have to do it again. <laughs> All right. Well, a man who does not charge for his milkshakes, uh, Patrick Stutzman, who you guys will know from the cover of... The newest book, Scavenger's Guide to Droids, is also with us. So uh, now you are D twenty Radio's own Patrick Stutzman, and uh, on our on our on our course to get everybody who has their name on a Star Wars book on the show. <laughs> What's going on, sir? Oh, me? Yes, you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> hello. <laughs> How you doing, Patrick? It's good to have you, sir. Good to be here. Awesome. Nice. So w- these two fine gentlemen will help us go through what will be the meat of the show. And by golly, you know, we can't start meat of shows without... Um... That's not coming through exactly strong. I don't know why, but oh well. Sounds good to me. I'm just glad you got your external hard drive back online. Yeah, it's it is. Very, it's odd. very nice. Yeah. Well, tonight, Gamer Nation, we are going to discuss Scavengers Guides to Droids. Uh, tonight, we we welcome back uh, again, of course, a longtime friend of the show and special guest, um, and long overdue guest on the show. We haven't had you on in far too long, sir, uh, Mr. Rodney Thompson. Big thank you and welcome. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it has been too long. It has been too long. Um, and, of course, brand new voice to the show, uh, Mr. Patrick Stutzman, who is also, quite frankly, Patrick, you're also very long overdue. Um, so, so there. So there. Well, as long as my fines don't go up too much. Uh, well, <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Okay. Um, <laughs> but as two of the authors on the recently released Scavenger's Guides to Droids, they have graciously agreed to join us to talk about the new book and answer a few questions from you, the Gamer Nation. Now, as normal, we've had a lot of questions come in. And I'm hoping we'll get to as many as we can, um, but we'll, we only have so many minutes in the podcast. But I, I wanted to thank Rodney and Patrick for taking their time for us, um, all of us. Um, so I apologize again for those questions that we're not going to have time to get to, but there's only so much time we have. And also, big thanks to Raving Dork, uh, Rob Shanti, and uh, Zarissa for helping compile and gather a lot of the questions that were out there, sort of scattered across the disparate boards. But... Um, you guys kind of know how this goes. I mean, I, I kind of want to want to go through the book and, and just talk about some of the cooler things in there. And, and as we go, maybe answer some questions we had from people about certain sections of the book. Um, and I'd kind of like to start uh, with a question directed at, at Patrick, if we could. 
um, sort of a, a getting to know you. I mean, Rodney, you know, you're obviously an old old comer to this podcast, but you know, Patrick, you're you're pretty much fresh blood here. Um, so we had actually had a question from Cyril, um, who asked uh, a question for Patrick. Did Chris and Dave immediately brand you with the D20 Radio logo when you hooked into the cast, or did they they lull you in with a false sense of security at first? Um, he says, in all seriousness, I'd like to hear a little bit about you and how you got started doing what you do and all that good stuff. Ah, uh, yes. In other words, tell me about your mother. <laughs> well, um, uh, taking the all seriousness side about it, basically, um, I've... Um, Really got my start with writing pretty much back when D20 originally came out, um, but I wasn't really doing anything official at that point. I basically came onto the, the Star Wars mailing list that came out discussing when D20 came out, and uh, I, guess, I guess I'm going to my history myself here a little bit, but um, I noticed there was a lot of banner going back and forth about you know making complaints between the D20 and D6, D6 versions. And I figured, you know, there's a lot of arguments here. I'm going to do something constructive. So I started doing uh, a conversions of blasters on a daily basis. And I pretty much kept that consistent for, oh, geez, I don't know, months. And I guess uh, Rodney noticed me and asked me to join on to the staff of the site, SWRPG Network, which I came on as a conversions webmaster and helped out with that uh, for a while. Um. And after a while, it, um, I noticed that uh, Rodney and Gary Sarley had posted some articles in Star Wars Gamer. And I, I was looking at that, and I was thinking, you know, they, they can write articles in there. Why don't I give it a shot? So I decided to, with a little nudge from my wife, Michelle, um, went out to Gen Con 05 and pretty much hoarded myself to all the gaming companies out there to try to get on with something. And... Um, got picked up by uh, Wizards and Game Mechanics as freelancer. Um, nothing really came up with the Game Mechanics, but um, I finally got on with uh, my first assignment with Star Wars, and the rest of that's pretty much history. Um, as for myself, um, I'm pretty much a family guy. I've got a wife and a couple daughters living out in the Midwest, and just you know, plugging along day to day, um, writing on the side. And just trying to make it like everybody else. Well, awesome. Now we've uh, we've uh, lost Chris here in the middle of the uh, podcast, and so all of a sudden Skype has decided to just gack on us. Chris, do we Damn have you back? You Skype, man! I don't understand. All of a sudden, yeah. we lost we lost your vid too. I think it's not Skype. I think it's your router. You and your damn Linksys router. I think it's the awesomeness of Stutzman's kind of blowing up my computer. Oh, right. Okay. That might be awesome. it. Awesome power comes through the, the interwebs. I blame Ustream. Nice. I'm going to blame Ustream, too. <laughs> nice. I would, I, would, I would say so. So, All right. Well, we just wrapped up, uh, we just wrapped up talking about the uh, uh, life of Patrick Stutzman in uh, 127 words or less. The, wow. That's right. The power. The power of studs. Power That's of studs. right, man. So uh, let's talk about creating droid heroes, hey? Well, actually, I, I kind of wanted to, to do a, an audible here, and um, oh. like, I'm kind of going through my show notes, and something what? I kind of wanted to discuss beforehand and forgot what? to put in. What? Uh, um, before we get into the specifics of, of the book itself, I kind of wanted to do like an overview of the book and ask Rodney and, and, and Patrick. In other words, uh, obviously, the, 
the, the planning stages were, you know, a year or more ago for this, obviously. And, and I kind of want to talk about the impetus for, for the decision to make Scavenger's Guide and kind of what the, the general design goal was for the book and what, what you guys were hoping to give to the game through its creation. Kind of well, the whole thing sort of. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. I'm I'm talking over oh. you. Go ahead. Right. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so the whole thing got started when we had a little gap in the schedule, and I had to come up with a book to put in there. And I started thinking about uh, what it was like when I was just playing the old D6 game, and one of the books that I had to sort of hunt around for, and eventually got lucky and landed a copy of, was the old uh, Cynobar's Fantastic Technology Droids book. And I, I started thinking about the role of droids in the Star Wars universe and decided that it might be time to try to do a droids book because, you know, the, the fantastic technology book was really good. And plus, there's a lot of gaps in the droid rules in the, in the Saga Edition game, or at least at the time there were. And I started thinking to myself, you know, what can we do to fill some of those gaps? How can we patch up some of these systems? What can we do to create an interesting book about you know, droids, which are sort of a, like starships, they're sort of one facet of the larger Star Wars universe. Mm. Um, the book was sort of a challenge to put together and also to pitch. Um, there were a lot of, uh, there was some hesitancy from uh, some people to, you know, to, to commit to a droid book. And eventually, uh, my cube mate at the time, Rob Watkins, who worked on the Star Wars minis game, uh, suggested that we spin it as not just you know the big book of droids, but also a book from the perspective of someone in universe. And I thought that was a great idea because uh, I loved in the old uh, Santa Bar's fantastic technology books they had these sidebars that were in universe characters talking about the uh, the the items. So taking Rob's idea and meshing it with what you know we'd heard or what what I'd loved originally about the Star Wars role playing game. Uh, I decided to see if we couldn't put together a book that filled in gaps and then also did something a little different. I mean, I, I think you guys can agree that the Scavenger's Guide to Droids is a very different book. It's not like many of the other books. I mean, it's kind of similar to Threats of the Galaxy, but there's a lot that's really kind of different here. I mean, the the Codex itself has like weird modifications and uh, adventure hooks and things like that. And so really I wanted to sort of push the book in a different direction that we hadn't gone with any other books. And I wanted to see if we could do a Saga Edition book that surprised people, right? That that was something that people hadn't really anticipated or seen before. And uh, the more I thought about it, the more I outlined, basically I started coming up with these ideas for what can we put in this book? Okay, well, we need a droid pricing system because we don't have one of those. And we need to make it easier to use droids. And I, I know one of the things that I'd seen a lot of people complain about was you know, PC ca or player characters buying legions of droids and then just running amok with them, right? So I wanted to provide some better guidelines for people to, uh, you know, people to have droid followers and, and, and let their players own droids without wrecking their games. So that sort of became the mishmash of stuff that eventually went into the outline for this. And then luckily uh, I got some pretty experienced freelancers to work on it with me and the book as it came out, uh, you can see is it's different. It's, it's not like any other books we've done. And I think that that's, that it's important to sort of test your wings every now and then. And uh, I'm, I'm very happy with the way the book came out um, though. It, it is, 
it's it's pretty easy for me to say that this was the most challenging book for us to design and develop since uh, the core rulebook. Really? Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, because we're trying to do something so different and, you know, go into waters that we haven't tested before. Right. And as a as a designer, and I, I'm sure Patrick can weigh in on this as well, um, the this kind of book sort of, we had to sort of force ourselves to think about droids in different ways and think about the game in different ways and, and really think critically about how droids fit into the game. And it would be really easy to produce this book and have it be boring. And so if we didn't really test ourselves and, and really push the, you know, push the boundaries of, of what we wanted to put in these books, then it would have been just another book on the shelf, right? But as is, I think that if you, if you have droids in your game or have droid players, the book is actually a great source of inspiration. See, I'm really glad to hear you say that because I've talked to more than one person who I've mentioned the book to, and even in my own gaming group, and it's like, oh, that's really cool, but you know, eh, I'm just, you know, I don't, I don't really want to play a droid, or I'm not a big droid guy. I don't know what all I'm going to get out of it, and it's just one, it's like, no, you, you need to read it. It's, it's, it's not just, you know, big book of droids. It's you really need to read it. There's brand new, brand new options in here, brand new mechanics, different ways of doing things, ways that are going to change the way you play overall, and. I think that's what surprised me most when I started reading it. Yeah, so. a big goal was to try and get um, the droids that are in the book to feel different and feel unique. I kind of felt like over the course of however many supplements we've had up to now, a lot of times droids just, they're, they're not anything special. They just sort of fade into the background as yet another stat block that we made with our character creation rules. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want droids to be like that. I wanted droids to be different. And so that's why almost all the droids in in this book have unique special qualities that you can't get anywhere else, right? I, I've seen a lot of people, you know, sort of taking the droid rules and saying, you know, why would I ever play one of these models? Like, you know, this droid is clearly just better than this other droid. Why why even have this model in the, in the game, etc.? So what I wanted was for each of these droid models to have something about them that was unique and different that nobody else got. And that was challenging. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to lie that there were a few times during design and, and during development where I really had to push on these statistics and say, look, you know, this is just like anything else in the game. Right? This is just another stat block. We need to put something in here that's unique and different. And, and the same goes for the droid modifications that are throughout the, uh, the book. Mm. It would be really easy to just for these modifications to just be use the existing rules to do this thing that we could have just let you figure out for yourself. And so I really had to try and push and say, you know, no, these need to be we need to be providing unique information that players and D- and game masters can't get anywhere else about droids that makes them much more unique. Very interesting. Very interesting. Patrick, thoughts on that? Um, when I first got the information about the, the book, that what he was wanting in here, I was honestly really impressed with the direction he was going with this. Um, the The concepts he had behind what he was wanting to add there really I thought gave it a breath of fresh air and I thought would just totally revitalize how droids would be seen and used in the game. And I think he's, I think it came across very, very well um, with um, everything that everybody put into the book. Um, the, the amount of information that was just put in for everything on there, I think was just really amazing. And I know that even, even with me, not even, 
using a droid immediately with the particular session in my book. I'm bringing the book along with me just in case something happens or there's something there I think I can pull out and throw in there. They're like there's just all kinds of stuff I can just pull out and throw in. And I, I, I was really wowed by it, honestly and truly. That's great. Well, now that we've kind of given an overview of the general design philosophy in which you guys were going for, we've talked about all these, these new, new ways of doing things and, and looking at them and creating something different. Let's kind of dig into the nuts and bolts a little bit and, and talk about some of the things in this book in more detail. And uh, I guess starting with, with creating droid heroes, um, one of the more talked about chapters in the book for, for the new options it provided. Um, you know, brand new talents feeds, of course. And uh, the big thing was everyone was talking about was the brand new method of, of droid creation. Um, option three. We have we've had option one and two. Now we have option three using a stock droid chassis. And we had a, a listener question about this in particular. Dave, you want to hit us up with, um, with Cyril's question? Yeah, Cyril, God bless him, wants to know. What was the impetus behind putting in the third droid creation option? I love the simplicity of it. It makes for a really great option for a brand new player that wants to play a droid, but is too confused by the first option and doesn't want a stock model. Well, to be honest, I kind of wish we'd done it this way from the beginning. Um, because the uh, we tested the waters with this actually in Threats of the Galaxy with the uh, uh, replica droid. Uh, I believe actually Patrick worked on that section as well. Yes, I um, did. Yeah. And during the development of Threats of the Galaxy, he and I kind of went back and forth about this idea of doing a droid species that you could choose just like you would choose, you know, um, Mon Calamari or Twi'lek or whatever, right? And I like this method because it means that when you're a player and you, you have these stock chassis, you don't actually have to learn any new subsystems or different rules. And I'm I'm getting to the point where I, I'm having less and less patience for uh, fiddly subsystems that, that you have to learn just to play a certain kind of character, right? Yeah. Um, and so I, I feel like the uh, droid as species, which we, we did as option three – is something that was a long overdue and b makes it so that a player playing a droid gets you know gets to build his character just like he would build his twilight scoundrel or his you know human jedi or whatever like that it's just picking choosing to play a droid is another step in the process not adding more steps to the process that makes sense Getting into the the nitty gritty of some of the chassis options themselves, and and there were there were a lot. I was actually I was I was surprised. I think I think there's what like a total of uh, uh, was it seven I think or nine one two three uh, four five six seven eight uh, eight. There's eight total chassis. Um, some fantastic stuff. We we had a couple questions about uh, one specific chassis that everyone seems to really enjoy. It kind of gravitates towards that Star Wars uh, archetype uh, of the mechanic droid chassis. Um, and Ewok on Toast, who posted up a question on the Watsi forums, and uh, he had a question about the mechanic droid chassis itself on page 12, um, the, the mechanically-minded feature where uh, a, a mechanic droid chassis can uh, obviously can re-roll any mechanics check. Um, he wanted to know, the, the text doesn't state if, it's, if this is a take the second result or take the better result. Uh, typically, we default to take the second result, uh, and it's something special usually if we 
say uh, take the better result. So it looks like some text just got accidentally chopped off here uh, during editing. Uh, so I would I would say you know by default uh, go to take second result. Although we obviously should have made it clear. Well, I, it makes that makes sense, um, unless you're saying otherwise. Um, and also, I guess dealing with the mechanic droid chassis, um, Hammer Solo over on Watsi Forums had a question. He said, maybe it's just me. And maybe because I don't set up droids very often. But did the four tool appendages on the mechanic's droid chassis include the actual tools? Uh, the reason I ask is in the core rule book under tool appendages, it says the cost does not include the tool or the weapon you want to be mounted. And I, I want to know if that cost is already included in the chassis or if I'd have to use my starting credits to add the tools to the tool mounts. Uh, no, they are they're not included. So you have to buy the the tools as well. Basically, we just give you the appendages for free. Gotcha. That way you can obviously customize it to your needs. That makes sense. Right. Very very cool. Um, the other question we really had about uh, the stock droid chassis, we had several posters that that wanted to know um, for this this third creation option. Uh, the point for a, if you want to do a point by system for for abilities. Um, is the point by system for for option one in the Saga Edition Core Rulebook meant to be used here the same way uh, that you know twenty one points and ability score starting at eight? Uh, yeah, I I think so. I, I know that it ends up giving droids a little bit of an advantage in terms of uh, ability scores, but that's also I, I feel like that's kind of okay in a lot of ways. Um, it's droids kind of have things stacked against them uh, as it is. And so I'm not too heartbroken by the idea of them having slightly greater stats. Um, yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, after the chassis, one of the I know I know Brev and I were kind of going through this book together, and we just got tickled pink over uh, over droid manufacturers uh, that this was a phenomenal uh, new new system added that you can, you know, when you're, obviously when you're building these, these droids, these droids, you can choose a manufacturer or template and they get a, a small special trait as a result. Um, and I, I just thought that was just a, a lot of fun, but we, we had a couple questions about it. Um, Dave, why don't you get again, since you're, you know, enjoy Cyril so much, hit us up with the, oh, of course. Yes. So <laughs> was this written in an attempt to give uh, droid players more options? I'll allow the background system for the rebellion area campaign guide or, uh, or is it meant to replace systems like that or to work alongside them? So, um, It's not meant to replace backgrounds, and it's not really meant to serve that same purpose. In general, the, um, they're really intended to be more of a flavorful add-on that you can throw on to them as an option if you're the DM or the GM, right? It's not... It's not as thorough a system as backgrounds. Let's put it that way. Mm. What was the what was the impetus behind it? Um, we we'd had it before in previous versions of Saga Edition, and I thought that it was kind of a nice way to distinguish, or not Saga Edition of of the role playing game. I thought it was a neat way to distinguish um, droids manufactured by different manufacturers. He said redundantly, and <laughs> yeah, I mean, part of this book was part of the goal of this book was really trying to amp up the flavor behind droids. And I felt like this was an area where we could pretty simply add some flavor to droids by saying, you know, oh, okay, you're playing a, uh, you're playing a battle droid that you built using option three, so you don't have some of the advantages of having the more unique um, abilities. The, D the GM can say, okay, well, you're also a 
you know, you're a battle droid made by this company, so here's another little benefit to sort of tweak you and make you feel a little bit different from, say, the custom battle droid that Bob, the guy to your left, is playing. Gotcha. Bob from Account Temps, who's using the Acme battle droid. Indeed. <laughs> uh, in a related question, um, speaking about since this is this flavorful option, uh, Beakhead over at the Watsi Forums want to know, uh, the manufacturer traits, are they supposed to be used for mass-produced droids or can they be used for custom droids? Or more plainly, using the custom droid character building rules um, or the chassis character building rules, do the manufacturer traits work with both or just the option three chassis build droids? Uh, I think it could work with both. I feel like the the GM has the option to bolt it on to any droid character. Um, since since option three sort of abstracts the the you know the nature of droid manufacturing yeah i'm a i'm a battle droid made by bactoid combat automata but i don't exactly have the same stats as the b1 battle droids this is something that the game master can layer on both to npc battle droids and pc battle droids to make them feel as though they're coming from the same place right if that makes sense uh so i i in fact i i think you have to use it well you don't have to have to but you know, it's it's it works best when you use it with the different ways of doing droids because it sort of unifies them and makes something that's very abstract have a little bit more grounding in, you know, the more concrete. Cool. Patrick, how, what were your thoughts on, on the, the manufacturer's bit? Did you do any work on that at all? Or? Not a word. <laughs> Mums. Yeah. Nice. Very cool. Um, well, I guess continuing on, after manufacturers, they moved to another thing, which was, again, a WEG staple um, brought to life, uh, which was droid quirks um, on, on page 19. Um, and to, to, I guess to me, more than anything else, when I was reading this, I was like, ah, okay, th this brought back memories of, of me playing you know, WEG back in the day, a very, very Star Wars feel to the droid by assigning you know, these quirks uh, when the droid undergoes stress or damage. Um, but we did have a question about it. Uh, Dave, what did, what did Paul Klein want to know? Paul Klein, brother to Calvin, says <laughs> that I'm not sure exactly how you're supposed to assign quirks. The book suggests when the droid is reduced to zero hit points, there's a chance of a quirk developing. But beyond that, is it supposed to be a player GM choice? The table looks like it's implied that you roll randomly, but the text doesn't mention that. So if so, how many times do you roll? Well, we probably could have been a little more clear about this, but the idea behind the quirks is that there's something that the, the GM brings into play at his or her discretion. So um, they're an optional rule set that can be introduced as suggested when a door is reduced to zero, or at other times. Um, and we sort of leave the, that up to the discretion of the, the GM. I know that's not exactly what you want to hear, but since the quirks tend to be something we want to be external to uh, character creation, I didn't want to build it in as like, oh, and when you build your droid character, choose three quirks, and they do this, this, and this. Instead, I want it to be like a condition that the game master can impose on a, on a, on a droid. Something that the game, something that moves in the opposite direction. Whereas normally things move from the player to the character, I want things to move from the game master to the character. Interesting. Gotcha. 
Very, very interesting. Um, I like the whole quirks thing. I think it's a hoot, man. I, I was going through some of these, and I, I love how they're, they're, they're it's specified as to whether it's a it's a hardware quirk or a software quirk. You know, so you, I mean, you get everything from like you know, uh, noisy, just unusually noisy, um, or argumentative, <laughs> which is which is very interesting. And I, I like how some of these can bring some real role playing implications to the game too. Um, it gives you an it gives you an opportunity to beef up the role playing of your character. Yeah. I I think for role playing purposes that I might actually let a, a PC of mine pick his quirk. I don't know why, but it yeah. could be very fun. Yeah, you never know. You never know how they can go with it. Oh. oh, great! There goes my dog again. Your dog's going nuts in the background. Yep. Mm. So you have a beagle, don't you? I have a beagle, so he doesn't bark. He goes. Rrr! He howls, and he's like he's got a howl bark. Yeah, I'll tell you what. So let's talk about feats. Well, let, let's talk about feats. There are, there are 17 new feats in Scavenger's Guide to Droids. Um, and for the most part, they're almost all exclusive to droid characters. And we had some questions about, about several of them. Ah, oh, pinza, pinza, um, pinza. Oh, oh yes, the 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 the, the pinza, the uh, page twenty four, the pincher feat, um, is really one of the one of the standouts from the chapter, and there's been a lot discussed about it, uh, but it has drawn some confusion for some, and specifically Gildor the Mad uh, compiled uh, a lot of the confusion spread around some of the boards with several questions that he had about this feat and 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 how it relates to grappling. Ah, and we um, have grappling droid in the chat room too, so oh, well, I bet it would well, probably there you go, yeah. Um, and to kind of say what he says, and we can return to it in piecemeal if we need to. Uh, he said, a question about the pincher feet on page 24. How does this work? So after you pin somebody, you don't ever have to re-roll your grapple to continue pinning them, and then you can maintain it as a swift? How, how would they get out of it? Can this feat be used with a snare rifle or, or a Stokely spray stick or an electronet? Can, and furthermore, he, he goes on, can, can you just explain grappling in more detail? <laughs> Which is kind of off topic, but I guess it does relate. He says that raving dorks frequently ask questions, says that if you fail a grapple check, the target's still grabbed. Is this the case with the pincher feet? Um, how, you know, how does this feat affect that? Can you use it on more than one character per round? You know, maybe if you have dual weapon mastery or double attack. Okay, and there's a lot of questions there. <laughs> there, there, there is. I said, I'll go over it once. And so to start off, to kind of return to it and go through it, I guess, piece by piece, um, the pincher feet, how, how does it work? I mean, after you pin somebody, you don't ever have to re-roll your grapple? Uh, no, no, that's definitely not the case. Um, I, I believe the, there might be some confusion as a result of the language there, but it's pretty clear about the fact that once... So it basically says... You can maintain the pin beyond one round and can make subsequent grapple checks against the pinned enemy as a swift action. So that means that basically each turn you maintain it by making another grapple check as a swift action. So you definitely do have to re-roll re your grapple to continue pinning them. Okay. Uh, and yes, it costs a swift action to maintain. Um, they can, you know, they, they escape it just like they would any, you know, any other pin, uh, which is... Currently eluding me one second. I'm flipping through my book here. Uh, it's right. Uh, so basically, once you've got a guy down, as long as you continue to succeed on your grapple checks, they can't uh, break the grapple check. Uh, or they, they can't, you know, take any actions to get unpinned. You know, normally 
ten is a one round basically shut down that uh, means they can't do anything. Now that being said, there are certain things that would affect it or that would, um, yeah, that would break the grapple, like being moved away from the person that was pinning you and stuff like that. But yes, it's it's essentially a multi-round swift action, keep somebody pinned. Um, Got you can't use it with other weapons like the snare rifle, the Stokely spray stick, or the electronet because those weapons don't specifically say that you can. Gotcha. And we didn't want this to be something that you could use with those to basically shut someone down forever, right? I mean, this is already pretty darn good. Yes. <laughs> um, yes, it is. It, it requires, you know, two other feats to get into it. And if you have a high grapple check, you can basically sacrifice a swift action to shut a guy down, which is very, very powerful. Extremely. Now, can you can you grapple more than one person at a time? I mean, if you have the ability to make multiple attacks in a round? I don't think so. Um, let me double check that, though, because the, the, the basically there's the grabbed condition, which is the thing that you do to stop someone from moving, and then you have the grappling, which is all what you do with the pin and trip and crush feats. And I believe you can't have more than one person grabbed as a time, at a time. Now, I know uh, there's, the, there's the multi-grab feat, which lets you grab someone multiple times, but that would obviously be the exception to the general rule, in, at least in my right. train of thought. Right. Um, yeah, so as far as I can tell, no, you can't do it to multiple people at a time. You can basically do it to one person at a time. And uh... Which is the way God intended it. Yeah, uh, I'm not saying. I'm just saying. You're not saying. I'm just saying. Yeah. So basically, you know, you you have a grab a person or a creature grabbed, you which is normally you know a standard action to do, and if you have the pin and crush or pin and pincer feats basically and crush as well, you basically can grab them and continue to pin them down every round as a swift action. Pretty cool. Not very nice. So obviously, if you if you fail to pin, this is useless. You have to pin to begin with. So, right. If you, you and know. you have to you have to reroll every round, right? I mean, it's not okay. it's not something that happens just once. Okay. Um. Well, that that helps a lot. Um. And I I don't know if you know the answer off the top of your head, but the one final part of his question, he says he was a bit confused, was if you obviously to to grapple somebody, I got to grab them first, and then of course mm -hmm. if I got if I got pin or I got you know trip, I oh. can then upgrade to a grapple attack. If mm -hmm. I if I fail the grapple check, mm -hmm. are they are they still grabbed? I don't or is it, think is, is, so. it, is it one or the other? In other words, I've chosen to not grab and instead. Yeah, grappling is just an improved version of grab. So if you fail to grapple, you've also failed to grab. Okay, that 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 makes sense from a from a balance standpoint, certainly. Um, okay, well that answers that. Right. And Raving Dork has to go update his FAQ. <laughs> so, turn and burn, baby. Turn and burn. Why don't you hit us up with that? Page 25. Ewok on Toast actually has a question about this feat. He says, you can spend a force point as a reaction to an enemy ending its movement adjacent to you to withdraw. Withdraw. Um, for what purpose? To defend yourself? Perhaps. Yeah, yeah, it's to get away from them. Basically, it's like 
you know, that guy moved adjacent to me. I don't want to be adjacent to him because he's a real badass or for some other reason. Uh, and I get to withdraw as a reaction, which means I get to move up to half my speed away without provoking an opportunity attack from him or attack of opportunity from him. So, so how does this work with charge? Um, you basically, you would resolve the charge attack before or, well... Yeah, the the charge thing is all one action, so I would say you would probably resolve that before the withdrawal takes place. Okay. I don't think you, you shouldn't be able to just use it as a auto-negate of the charge yeah. attack. That makes sense. That makes good sense. I think it's a cool well, feat, quite frankly. Hmm. I don't know. Now that I think about it, actually. Because, I mean, uh, technically, charge you and your movement adjacent uh, to the guy. Yeah. Yeah, but you're attacking as part of the same action. Right. So right. that's a gray area in my mind, and only because my PC charges a hell of a lot. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that this is not one of those cases where, it, uh, where, where the reaction actually interrupts the target's action. So they would have to resolve their whole action, which also includes the attack, before the reaction actually takes place. You know how we basically say that reactions are always... Uh, after the triggering action, well, mm -hmm. the triggering action in this case is a charge. Now, you right. can still spend the force point to withdraw after the charge attack is done, but you can't use it to negate the attack. Right. Right. Okay. From, from a conceptual standpoint, we're seeing, I, I, I like it. We're seeing, I'm seeing a lot more of the feats that have uh, dual uses, uh, you know, similar to, you know, hey, it gives you this, and uh, oh, and by the way, under this condition, or if you spend a force point, it, you can also do this. And uh, oh, I, I like that. Very cool. Um, next question we had was from Avis Carlux regarding the aiming accuracy feat on page 22. Um, and he wanted to know, he said, I'm, I'm not sure if the aiming accuracy feat is treated as just a basic aim, but he wants to know how things like Careful Shot and, and Deadeye uh, from the Saga Edition Core Rulebook would work with it. Um, also, with aiming accuracy, could you use something like a targeting package out of Force Unleashed um, on the next round before you attack? Basically, what aiming accuracy does is it allows you to change the action type or aim from two swift actions to a full round action. Mm. So, anything that would apply to the aim action applies to the full round version provided by aiming accuracy. Gotcha. So at that point, thing, you know, careful shot, dead eye, targeting sure. package, all yeah. that would still apply. Absolutely. Very cool. Very cool. Just well, Dave, that easy. Just, just that easy. Dave, tell us about the. I guess the last question we have, which really isn't regarding a specific feat in the book, but it's regarding a feat that's mentioned in the book a couple times. Um, I believe it was Zarissa. It was who, Zarissa, yeah, that uh, is talking about shake it off. Yeah. Um, there was a uh, obviously a little bit of a of a discussion here, and um, so Zarissa basically goes on and says um, there was a little discussion on the droids and shake it off feet, which many droids stat blocks have included. They mentioned it was a pre it was a recommended feat in a um, sidebar conversation, or I'm sorry, in a sidebar of the book of the actual um, scavenger's guide to uh, to droids book is this a case of a specific raw or rules as, as intended trumping the general rule 
uh, that droids may not take feats or talents with a constitution prerequisite. Mm-hmm. Well, um, to be honest with you, I believe the book is an error. Uh, I believe that one of our editors must have made a mistake uh, in double-checking stat blocks and things like that. Um, likewise, yeah, and in fact, um, we even say in, for example, one of the sidebars, we say, Dora's lack of a constitution score prevents it, constitution score prevents it from taking the shake it off feat. Uh, so the places where it have it, where it has it, I believe they are actually mistakes. Gotcha. Yeah, in fact, I just did a quick search through the book. Uh, it looks like only, um, two, no, only one droid has it. Uh, that's the MK series maintenance droid. So that one is in fact an error, but everything else uh, doesn't appear to have it. Well, that, that clears it up. Some people were like, what? Uh, but, uh. Yeah, it, it was yeah. only in that one. Okay. Very cool. Well, lastly, in terms of, of droid heroes, and um, I guess we can direct this to, to Patrick and, and Rodney. We, we had a general question from Sky. Uh, and it was also um, echoed by a few other folks out there. He wanted to know, he, he kind of expected something out of this book. One thing he, he didn't get, he said, wants to know why are there no rules or, or fluff even um, for building a droid from scratch? I mean, directly from scrap heap to completion by your own hands. Specifically, he's thinking it's like something Anakin did to construct C-3PO. Well, Anakin didn't build C-3PO from scratch. Mm. 3PO is still a Cybot Galactica 3PO series protocol droid. Uh, I believe that the way it's described in canon is that he repaired one that was in Wada's junkyard. I might be wrong about that. I, I don't. No, I I, I, I agree. Point. I agree with you. I agree with you as well. Um, but uh, because it's, it's a general question, yeah. Because it's not really something that needs its own rules. I mean, whether you spend the money and buy a droid, or whether you spend the money on parts and build it, I, I think that's a perfectly viable in world. Yeah, that droid. Um, I don't, I don't think it needs any special rules because, as we talked about with the um, building objects rules in the Force Unleashed, we're not going to let you use building things yourself as a way around things like the cost of, of droids or circumventing any any of the rules. Right? That's not just not how we do things in Saga Edition. Uh, right. So I would say that um, if you wanted to have a player that just built a droid. You can just say, okay, he built the droid, it cost him this much, it took this much time. But even then, I mean, I don't really feel like you need to punish your player. Like, if if there's no difference in buying a droid and building a droid, then I don't think you should punish your player by saying, no, it takes you, you know, two weeks to build this droid, when you could just say, okay, well, you've been working on it all along, and finally you, you complete it after X amount of time. And, right, like, that's one of those things that we can sort of leave in the... In the in the game master's hands, because every situation in which something like that, like a long term project, would come up, is different in every campaign, right? I mean, it's one thing for me to say it takes you two weeks to build a medium sized droid, but that's not actually true if you start saying, well, you know, we've actually spent the last two weeks in prison, and I've actually spent the last two weeks trekking across across the jungles of Felucia, right? Well. Those aren't exactly optimal conditions, so the game master is going to have to make a judgment call there, anyways. I th- I think really the better way to handle it is just to say that 
that's another thing that happen that could happen when you buy a droid, right? Instead of buying the droid, you say, okay, well, you're trained in mechanics, you're you're a big droid, you know, uh, tweaker. You can basically build the droid instead of say that you built the droid instead of saying that you, you know, bought the droid from some droid salesman somewhere. Right. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, you know, I, I I happen to agree with that philosophy myself. I, I just can't help think from, I don't know, maybe maybe my old gaming group that I I, I cut my teeth with was a little too Munchkin esque. But the, if if you if you were to include rules for just building a custom droid from scratch, okay, it takes this amount of time, and this is the mechanics DC you need to do it, and this is what the raw cost is going to be in materials. I guarantee you, I would have players that you know, uh, what are you guys going to do this week? We're building droids. Oh, I've done this and this and this, and oh man, I'm I just made seven million credits because I can sell them for this, and I just made made them for this, and there with these combination of feats, I made them in seven minutes. There, ha. Huh? Yeah, I think if you really need, like, if you really feel the need to use hard and fast rules, I would use the rules from the uh, Force Unleashed campaign guide for build object, and just mm-hmm. apply them to either the components of a droid. Because one of the things we wanted to do in this book was give the the droid pricing guide, so that a, a game master that creates a custom droid from scratch would figure out how to price it. Well, you can basically use that to figure out the component costs of all the different components, and then in turn use the build object rules from the Force Unleashed campaign guide. That all that being said, like that that's a perfectly acceptable way to do it. That just seems like a lot more effort than it's worth to me. Word. Patrick, what are your thoughts on that? Sounds good to me. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> and that's why he's the best color man in baseball, folks. That's right. Oh. <laughs> ba No, doesn't really have it here. Yeah. This <laughs> reminds me of the, the, the color commentator from uh You're talking uh, about Major League. Major League, that's yeah. Ex- yeah, that's right. as soon as you said it. As soon as you said it, that's that's what Dynamite drop in. Those yep. broadcasting lessons have really paid off. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right. Well, thank you for that. Um, okay, moving on to uh, the the adjudicating droid section. There, there was um, there was some clear time that was taken, obviously, to discuss the options available to to players and GMs who are interested in running with droid NPCs. Uh, aside from just the pure build mechanics actually running droid PCs in a, in a different way. Um, and the, the adjudicating droid section on page 29, it covers common concerns with droid characters, um, as well as offering a whole bunch of new rules to make gameplay faster, easier, more fun when you're using a droid um, and, and dealing with unexpected events with droids. I mean, a, as a general question, t- tell us about the impetus for this. I mean, what was the decisioning behind creating these new options, uh, which really starkly separate droid characters from from living characters rather rather heavily um that's kind of a complex question tis see I, i'm um, see it's like a it's like a, it's like a change up pitch just boom you know it, it's coming at you this way and then it goes down low and then up high and then yeah, yeah. that's a knuckleball right there brother <laughs> well largely it's because i feel like the droids that's presented in the saga edition core rulebook are um, it, we we don't give game masters a whole lot of advice on adjudicating how how droids work, and as we saw very quickly, rather than you know 
buying into the accepted uh, you know, standards of the Star Wars universe, when we put in a very permissive droid system, uh, people went totally crazy and decided that, you know what, this is this is the best way for me to have every knowledge skill trained by having a pocket-sized droid that can speak every language. Why would I ever need to learn language, right? And just basically turning droids into this totally, you know, into the, the venue by which they broke the game. And, mm. you know, that possibly our fault for not uh, putting more breaks in place. But basically, you know, we saw over the course of the first two years of the game that uh, given the droid rules, you could do some pretty crazy things that made certain character types obsolete. Uh, and, you know, since we didn't use we don't use credits as a balancing factor, a, a game master could say, you know, and, oh, and y'all get a million credits. Yay. What do you do? I go buy a legion of battle droids and they all use the aid another action on every one of my attacks so I can hit everybody with my plus 35 to hit. <laughs> now, you or I would know, hey, man, stop being a jerk. <laughs> just just play like play Star Wars like Star Wars is meant to be played. Well, you know, you can say that all you want, but you shouldn't use um courteous gameplay as a balancing factor. Let's put it that way. So we probably should have been a little less permissive with our droid rules. Um, all that being said, adjudicating droids, or at least the section in this book, is basically in there to help game masters deal with problematic uh, droids and, you know, figure out how to deal with problems that will arise in-game without just taking away people's toys. Uh -huh. Um and part of part of what we wanted to do in this book was with the droid, um, uh, the protocol system, the 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 diminished stat blocks that we have, is to make a droid that a player owns more like a piece of equipment rather than here's a whole new character I added to the battlefield, right? right? And then so that's how we address it from the player side of things, and then from the game master side of things, we want, just wanted to take some time to say, look, droids can be problematic because they're sort of the wild west of of game design, right? Here's some ways that you can deal with it in a way that doesn't make you out to be the jerk DM, and also in a way that lets players have fun with their, you know, crazy droid concepts for a little while without totally obsoleting one or two other characters in the party. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you know, that makes a lot of sense. I, but I, I don't know. It's like I, I, I don't know, man. You know, you know, Rodney. But but the book says. Um, uh, I was re I was reading a blog a little while back, uh, right at, right around the time fourth edition came out, and somebody made some comment that, that stuck with me. It's like, if if role playing were if if instead of role playing we were writing books about cooking, and the same people were were going to people's houses and eating the dishes they cooked, you'd have these conversations like you know you know oh my god the rules say that you have to add oregano to the dish, but they don't say how much oregano. So I'm gonna have to make my cook use infinite oregano, and he'll have to make everyone eat it because the book says so. It's uh, Right, the, the infinite oregano allegory, the, right. The infinite oregano allegory. Of course you've heard the infinite oregano allegory. And it, it, it's, it's kind of the same thing. But we've, so we, we reach a point where we have to – I don't know, man. It, it's upsetting to me, I guess, that we reach a point where we have to, have to basically say, and it's needed. It is needed in the book to say, okay, here's an option to keep your players from being dicks uh, and, and from abusing the system. We, you know, we, I don't know. Yeah. It frustrates me that people just can't play the way they were intended to play, but I don't know. Well, you know, I mean, I, I can certainly understand the argument that as game designers, it's our jobs to create systems that don't require you to um, rely on player behavior, right? Yeah. I mean, it, 
very clearly we should be creating rule systems that, regardless of who's playing, work equally as well. Now, you will never 100% remove player personality from the equation, right? I mean, I can go play the most tightly, you know, the, the most tightly balanced board game I own, which would probably be Pandemic or something like that, and someone can still be a jerk and ruin your experience, right? But they're not uh, they're they're not leaning on aspects of the rules to do that and so like i said we addressed it rules wise with okay here's how to do droids as equipment and we address it from the game master side with you know okay we've tried to give you some mechanical ways to do it here are some ways to do it from a practical in-game standpoint that makes it makes sense it makes sense very cool well thank you for those thoughts um Moving on to the second chapter, uh, which was droid allies, pretty much using droids as companions. And you, you, know, you alluded to this earlier um, with some of the new systems we see in this chapter. Uh, using droids as companions was given a lot of real detail here. Um, I mean, discussing such things as the, the demarcation between droids and equipment, uh, as either equipment or characters, you know, and, and offering some alternative systems for, for using droids that aren't really characters uh, without bogging down the game, basically. Um, and to start off the discussion, talk to me about the alternative pricing system on page 34. I mean, you already mentioned, you know, hey, here's a way to, to, to price a droid differently. And we kind of talked about some of the reasons why, um, you know, basically pricing a droid so its cost is based off how, off how badass it is. Um, we, had a, we had a question about this, though, uh, again, from Cyril. Um, Dave, do you want to lay that on us? Cyril, in the third of his... 39 questions that he's posed for us. <laughs> Asks uh, Rodney and Patrick. Uh, Patrick, um, that would be you guys. Can you give us an example or two of the alternative droid pricing system found on page 34? I'm pretty sure I understand the system, but it took me a good number of read-throughs and actually working it out on my own to get things figured out, not to mention my abacus. Also... <laughs> What was the reasoning behind the insertion of the system? It certainly uh, is a lot crunchier than a lot of the others introduced into the game, and not that I really mind it personally. Was this partly meant to be a way for the GM to fairly determine a market price for a homebrew droid, as well as allowing him to sell by functionality for existing droids, he, uh, should he choose to do so? I think that's a write-on right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it, right? The The idea is, okay, if you're a game master and you're creating custom droids for your game and you want to know what a fair price would be, this system is for that. It is a little bit crunchier than the things we usually do, but uh, I, I challenged uh, Robert Weiland, who was the, uh, the freelancer on this, to come up with a system that produces, um, that produces costs that are close to what we see in the core rulebook, but actually makes sense for practical gameplay. And I feel like the, the formula he came up with was pretty good. So, um, yeah, it's, it's purely to make it easier to price custom droids. I mean, that's, that's all there is to it. Gotcha. Now, the alternative pricing system was obviously very useful. As a GM alone, I, when I first saw it, I was like, ah, uh, this is going to be so much easier for a lot of reasons. Uh, but as I continued reading and I came across the protocol uh, format, I, I was even more smiley over it. 
so the protocol format, page 35, like if, if a droid is, is truly, for your character, just a piece of equipment, it's like you said earlier, how, how, do you, how do you keep that from being broken? How do you avoid the I buy a legion of battle droids and have them all use another you know, trap? Um, well, this seems like this was written specifically to do that. Um, you know, as this is optional rule set to apply a series of protocol actions to your own droids. Um, basically, and I mean, and, and just kind of summarize and correct me if I'm wrong, a character needs to spend their own actions to get their droid to do something. And not a whole lot. We're talking about swift actions here for the most part. Um, but I mean, is, is this basically it in terms of what we were talking about earlier? Is this, was this basically the impetus to, to yeah. make droids a little less broke-tastic? Uh, yeah, that's part of it. Um, also, to make droids something that players would use more in the game. I know that there's a lot of players out there that shy away from droids and owning droids simply because it's, you know, well, I don't want to actually spend all this time adjudicating a second droid and picking all his actions, right? I mean, while some players want to use it to break the game, others don't even want to fool with it just because it's too, you know, too much, too much to, you know, deal with mental bandwidth-wise. So it was a way to not only sort of rein in all those uh, broken droid combinations, but also to make it so that if I'm, you know, the average Jedi in training, I might buy an astromech droid to be my loyal companion and have him do things and, you know, on, on the battlefield. Plus, I kind of feel like tech characters like uh, mechanics and, and outlaw techs and uh, slicers could get a lot of benefit out of having basically a little droid companion that can you know sneak into other areas and and you know do slicing for them and stuff like that it really felt like the kind of thing that a techie character should be able to do so that was another reason to include it but yeah basically i wanted to make droids simpler and less prone to abuse and i think that this system of treating them as just another piece of equipment like, and like that was actually the really big revelation for me was like you know well we could use the follower system that we introduced in the clone wars campaign guide but you know that's even that's too complicated and requires talents and all that that kind of thing. What about someone that just wants to buy one? Well, you know, if if you imagine that droids are objects, right? That that they are owned things, then it's not that different from say pulling out a blaster pistol and shooting one to spending X number of actions to have your droid pull out a blaster pistol and shoot somebody. Um, so yeah, it was basically like okay, a droid. And this system should be a tool that you can use just like you would use a blaster pistol or a data pad or a lightsaber or something like that. Makes sense. Well, we did have a, a few questions about specifically the protocol uh, format. Um, the first one was from Cyril, uh, who wanted to know who was behind writing the protocol system for the droids, first of all. Uh, the initial idea was mine, but then I, I passed it on to um, Rob Wyland, gotcha. I believe. Yeah. Um, well, that I believe, I believe you already answered his, 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 his next question, which was, you know, how it came to be and how it was developed and the process that went behind it. Um, we did have some crunchy questions about the system, though. Dave, you want to hit us up? Yeah, we had a bunch of questions. Mark, B, Eric, Modi, uh, Eskla. Es <laughs> Is it Eskla or Eskla? Eskla, Eskla, I don't know. Jawas ate my, ate my Jedi. Darth GM, Durian Keldrona. I mean, the list goes on. And they all had the same questions, basically. There's some disagreement between the text and the adopting, adapting droids to the protocol format heading on page 36. The table 
given in the next column. Hope that's our hope they're all right there in the background, whoever that is. Um, <laughs> the table given in the next column and the example droids that follow as to exactly how many swift actions certain commands cost, especially the attack and full attack actions. So basically, I know there's some conflict there between like standard and full round and how it says like one swift action and two swift actions once per turn um, and, and what the text says specifically under, under when droids can attack. Well, one thing to keep in mind is that the while there are the guidelines on, you know, this action translates into this type of action, it doesn't necessarily have to be a hard and fast rule. And in fact, there were several times where we actually changed the number of swift actions required to activate an ability on purpose because we didn't want it to be something you could use, you know, in combination with some other protocol action they might have. Uh, that being said, you know, it's possible that we missed a few or that some things got changed during editing that I didn't, uh, I didn't foresee. But basically... If there are discrepancies in the droid stat blocks, you should assume that the droid stat block is right because we, you know, we might have changed some of those things. Right? Not no droid is going to behave exactly the same. And and while those you know action parallels uh, were included to help game masters create their own protocol stat blocks for their own custom droids or for other droids in the system. We really tried to approach each droid stat block, each protocol stat block, as a unique piece of equipment that we would balance against itself. Um, typically, if something says once per turn, it means only that action once per turn. So it is possible that there are some yeah. things in the game that are like, you know, okay, I can make this attack once per turn and, and this attack once per turn as well. Um, generally, the intent is that they're only making one attack per turn. Uh, in, in cases where there was like rapid shot or whatever involved, um, you know, as a as a game master, you can say that they can use it as many times as they want to, or whatever. But by the rules, um, that individual action is the only one governed by the once per turn limitation. Gotcha. Well, that answers the second part of the question that was coming. Yeah, Very it cool. did. By golly, beautiful. By golly, if I only had a brain. Oh, if you only had a brain. Ah, so yes. Well, after protocol format, we move on to. Droid brains and personal brain, personal droids. Um, uh, uh, page forty nine, um, excuse me, thirty nine. No, no, it's forty nine. Yeah, you're right. It, it is forty nine. You're right um, the first time. Uh, so, you guys take the time to really flesh out the rules for something people have been asking about for a while. Droids that that aren't really droids. <laughs> uh, droid brains and and personal droids. Um, and. Uh, we had a question regarding the personal droids. Dave, why don't you uh, lay, lay Eric Modi's question on us? All right, Eric Modi, you're going down. You're Modi. going down, Modi. Yeah, <laughs> I am an FBI. All right, so personal droids. What exactly are they? Is it just a souped-up data pad, or is it actually a small, self-mobile droid? The text, while interesting... Hence, not boring, Rodney, so that's awesome. <laughs> Doesn't give any real indication of what they are or what benefit a character might get from owning one or stealing one. Well, originally, the personal droid was going to get its own full entry in the codex. Um, Patrick, did you write that one? Do you remember? Yes, I did. Yeah. And uh, there were sort of some problems at the last minute, some confusion over what exactly a personal droid was and what Lucasfilm wanted and the art that came in. And we basically had to take 
the the personal droid out of the codex because of that confusion at the last minute. So I can understand fault, why they're confused. Do what? That wasn't my fault, was it? Uh, no, no, there were just sort of some miscommunications all around. It, it's okay. just a thing that happens, right? This happens in every book, right? Um, <laughs> something gets okay. messed up, and, and 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 things have to get changed at the last minute. That's just a a thing that happens when you produce a book of this complexity. Um, so basically, we included the section on um, droids without bodies to fill that gap uh, a little bit. Now, a personal droid mechanically would basically be a data pad with a droid brain in it, uh, which we do give you the rules for. Um, that probably could be made a little more clear. Uh, I apologize about the confusion, but I think that you can basically use that as your as your guideline. They're, they're from the, uh, I think, the Jedi Quest novels. Um, yeah. Yeah, Jedi Quest is where, we, where you first see them. And they are somewhat obscure, but they're basically droids that are strapped onto your arm like a like a data pad on your arm, and they, you know, sort of act as your personal assistants. Like a like a if if my iPhone also had a droid brain, that's pretty much what these things are. <laughs> wow, pretty much, yeah. How do you know your iPhone doesn't have a droid brain? My don't iPhone me like does. that. There's an app because for that. Verizon <laughs> has the droid. Oh, so there's not an app for that. But you got a better map. There's a map for that. No, no. I, I like my iPhone. Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> I wish I had one. That is not an official endorsement, by the way. I want my I want an iPhone with a uh, Magic 8-Ball app. They have it. Of course. They certainly do. Because there's an app for that. There should be a D20 radio app. Well, get on that, buddy, Mr. Program Director. Uh, yeah. I'll do that. <laughs> Let me find a couple of them. All right. So Adolf has a couple of questions. Uh, it was it was Ikmoikikin. Well, yeah, but you remember I I named him Adolf. Yes, yes, Ikmoikikin. He had he had lots of questions. Definitely not Ikmoikikin or Icy Moikikin or <laughs> anything like that. It's Ikmoikikin. Okay, sorry. Well, no, go, he, he had ahead. several questions regarding droid beans and personal droids, and they're, they're simple, but but they're they're there. We'll, we'll I guess go through them one by one. He said first off, he was curious to know how ability scores are generated uh, for droid brains and personal droids and if they use the the standard system of classes like a another a normal droid would typically we just you know we're, we're leaving this one up to the game master because we didn't want this it it was very obvious to me from the beginning that if we treated them like normal droids then players would freak out and be like yes at last i can have my personal droid that can you know make all other skills obsolete and can do nothing but aid another on me until the cows come home so we specifically did not want them to use the the droid rules right uh, effectively the the it's just a a droid brain like a processor inside of a uh, an object right so yeah. we you know just like anything else we we sort of leave it up to the game master to use this as a a bit of description right it's like okay your ship's computer has a data, ha- has a personality and that's all you really need to know there you right? go like you still use the normal computer's intelligence score and everything like that. It's just they they have their own personality, effectively. Yeah. So your communicator will call you. Your comlink can just call you a meatbag. That's fine. Basically. No big deal. <laughs> well, I think that answer will probably answer the majority of his next questions, um, which he, he says, you know, that it, from what he's been able to infer, it doesn't seem that these types of droids have any strength or oh, deck yeah. scores. Right. Um, no, no, absolutely not. 
and, so. and so he was curious to know about, you know, well, if so, how does this affect point by? Well, I think that's pretty much been answered. He also wanted to know, you know, they, they probably don't even have wisdom or charisma scores, do they? Well, that kind of the same answer there. Um, no, it, it, just like um, uh, just like any other uh, computer, it's got an intelligence score, right? I mean, right. computers and data pads all have intelligence scores. So um, we, we say that they can be trained in wisdom and charisma-based skills, but they would effectively have no ability score, much like having no constitution score. So, okay, well that no that 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 makes sense. Now, in line with that, what what you just said, one of his other questions was, you know, if intelligence is their their only thing, you know, obviously, you know, you just pick an intelligence and pay the associated cost. Right. If that if that's the case, would you place any kind of upper limit on the purchasable intelligence? Um, I think most of our computer systems are uh, a good guideline, right? Like, you probably shouldn't just be able to buy a droid brain with a, uh, an intelligence of 500 or whatever, right? No matter how many credits you have. Right. Um, once again, the reason we didn't put them in there as specific pieces of equipment or specific droids is so that the Game Master can sort of introduce them to the game as he or she sees fit. So um, this is one area where we sort of leave it open-ended and say, you know, look, if you're the Game Master and you want to include a droid brain in your game, you need to pick the available intelligence scores. Although I would say a good guideline is uh, around the same levels of computer intelligence that you would be able to buy as well. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. Well, that makes sense. Um, I think the only other question of pertinence he had was regarding droid brains specifically. Um, there was a, a line in the text which talks about how you can use a droid brain um, on page 49, that you can use it as a, a virtual co-pilot. Um, but he was curious to know if they're not able to make any skill checks that are physical in nature, such as dexterity, how would you go about having a droid brain assist in a pilot with, with pilot or something to that effect? Or is this just a fluffy description? Um, well, I... I specifically don't want them assisting with pilot checks, right? I mean, gotcha. the, the ship's already got an intelligence score and installing a droid brain in there. I mean, it'd be really easy to say, my ship's got 13 droid brains, therefore I get 13 or 26, plus 26 to all pilot checks. Right. And that this, this makes sense. I, I think it's just a, a good bit of fluff. You know, it's a, a virtual co-pilot, not an actual co-pilot, a virtual co-pilot. Right. It's, Virtually, but not quite. because we don't want to negate the need for like a living co-pilot, right? I mean, right. that's why Han has Chewie, even though his ship has a bunch of droid brains, right? Gotcha. And Cortana, yeah, yeah. And I like Cortana. Halo. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody who thinks Cortana is hot, you got to get a life, man. <laughs> hey, man! At Gen Con last year, there was a uh, a wonderful cosplayer um, that that was able to pull it off and looked rather rather. Nice as Cortana. Oh, that's fine. You dress up as Cortana on your size four or size six. Great. I'll call you hot and I'll move on. But, you know. <laughs> All nice. right. Nice. Okay. So before we get to the equipment of the droid, uh, let's stop down for just a second to um, listen to Alex and Trevor and Fragments ah. from the Rim in their 38th installment. And this is a short one, but we'll be right back. Welcome, Jedi Masters, to Fragments from the Rim. How may we be of service to you today? Hi, this is Alex. And Trevor. This is segment number 38 of Fragments from the Rim. 
For this segment, I've chosen to talk about the Prime Target's Talent from Galaxy at War, page 18. This is what it says. When you hit a target with a lightsaber attack, if the target has not been attacked since the end of your last turn, you deal plus one die of damage. This is a rather useful talent, especially if you're playing in a solo campaign, because nobody else will be attacking. Or if your party can arrange itself not to attack the same person you're attacking. It's fairly situational, but plus one dice of damage is awfully good. Over to you, Trevor. And today I'm going to talk to you about a couple of interesting feats from the Scavenger's Guide to Droids. The first feat is called Aiming Accuracy. If you aim at a target as a full round action instead of two swift actions, you gain a plus five bonus to your next attack made in the following round against that target. The target must remain in your line of sight. That sounds rather interesting, but I think it sounds even better when you mix it with Pinpoint Accuracy which requires aiming accuracy as a prerequisite. When you are using the aiming accuracy feat, your enemy moves one step down on the condition track, and they cannot take the recover action until the end of your next turn. That is really awesome. So technically, every other turn, you could guarantee that someone is at least one step down the condition track, assuming that you could hit them. But with a plus five bonus to, uh, to hitting them, you've given yourself an incredibly high percentage of, of hitting them. I think that these two feats are really nice, and considering that I really like the HK series of droids, I know I'm going to think about putting one of these in my game. And what do you think, GM Chris? Anyways, if you have any questions or comments, please uh, send Alex or I an email at order66 underscore fragments at rogers.com. And until next time, have fun gaming. Thank you, Masters, for visiting Fragments from the Rim. Well, I think uh, I think I think they're awesome, Alex and Trev. And uh, who's to say I'm not going to include them in my games? <laughs> Fantastic. Well, we are back uh, with Rodney Thompson and Patrick Stutzman uh, talking Scavenger's Guide to Droids. And uh, I know we're going to try and try and move the show along as quickly as we can. Roddy, I know you you're on a you're on a time constraint here. Um, Just a little bit. So we'll we'll try and, and and blow and go and again thank you guys so much for taking the time to be here but um, moving to the droid equipment chapter um, here, here's here's the fun and you know you know what lots of players really enjoy droids because they can trick them out with just total badass gear and these new options that are in chapter three are, are rather expansive offering new types of locomotion appendages processor options armor accessories integrated gear and there have been a few questions about some of it. Um, now, I know, I know time's an issue for you, Rodney, so I kind of want to preface this with an individual question. We had several several questions in, in this section regarding very, very specific kind of kind of piddly stuff that you may or may not have the answer to, and I don't want to spend time on them if, if, the, if we don't quite have an answer just yet. Like, there were some pieces of equipment that were, and this always happens whenever we, you know, a book's released, oh, okay, this, this didn't have a range listed with it. Uh, what is this item's hit points? What are its DR? Th- things of that nature that weren't included in the description. Um, would those be the level of questions you'd have even an answer for, much less time to get into? Uh, well, to be honest with you, I mean, we can answer, we can cover whatever questions you want to, but I will say this, um, if you're, if you've got questions about the book, uh, one thing I'd recommend you do is hop over on the Wizards forums where I've started a few threads. Um, I did this, uh, last year around this time as well, but I've started a few threads basically, uh, asking for the community's help in finding uh, trouble spots in the books where there are either errors or places where it's unclear. 
And what you can do is you can pop into those threads and leave the questions there, and I'll make sure that in our upcoming uh, clarifications and errata process that we will basically get to all of those questions and make sure they get answered. Um, yeah, and I and I also know that there were some of the questions that came up about uh, equipment that I worked on that I would ahead and provide some answers from my own developer standpoint. But I did also mention that it is um, you know up to Rodney to finalize anything that I put on there. So yeah. take that with a grain of salt. Yeah, I, I think it's it, uh, at this point everyone should know that uh, anything I say on the podcast is only as official as the you know, things I post on the forums, which is to say. <laughs> Until you see it in official errata or clarifications, uh, I wouldn't treat it like the gospel according to Rodney as much as here's how I, you know, the person responsible for these books, think about it. So um, the same the same applies to the things that I say on here. So um, I, I reserve the right to change my mind before I make things official. Understood completely. Uh, well, we we had a couple questions. He, he actually gave us quite a bit, but I kind of want to pare down to some of the more the beefier ones uh, from Escla or Escla <laughs> over on the Watsi forums. Um, uh, specifically, um, to the the micro shield, uh, very cool piece of gear on page sixty, which is I, I don't know. I guess I can I can summarize it as kind of a shield gauntlet kind of thing, basically. Um, he was curious to know: Can this item be used by non droids as as a held object? Um, or, or is this strictly an integrated piece of droid gear? Uh, no, these are all integrated pieces of droid gear. Uh, Patrick, do you have a differing opinion? Well, I know that the description that I wrote, on, wrote up on that does indicate uh, that there is a handheld version of that available that can run on a single energy cell for 400 credits. And actually, that is one of the questions I did answer over on the forums. So, um, gotcha. Uh, yeah, I, I think that that's sort of a, a separate piece of equipment, right? It's you right. Know, they're 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 basically there's the micro shield that we present in here that's the droid version and then there's the equipment version that's not exactly the same thing. Okay, right. Makes sense. Well, guys, talk to me about one of Eskel's other questions around the the mesh tape dispenser, which is just chock full of awesomeness. Um, on page sixty, he, he says you know, the mesh tape dispenser doesn't seem to allow characters to escape from the pin ever unless they have help. Is is that the case? Um, I don't think so. Give me one second to double check that. Um, I, I, wasn't that one of Sterling's pieces of equipment? It's possible. Oh, well, it that explains it. Golly, <laughs> Chip, uh, you know, you know, Sterling Hershey. Oh, well, uh, so it, it's not very clear from this, but basically, uh, you can end a grab or grapple as a standard action, but uh, a, a person that is grabbed or grappled. Um, can end as a standard action, although pin keeps you from taking any actions on the start of its next turn. So, hmm, that's an interesting question. I think the answer is I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'll have to double check that because I don't. It certainly wasn't meant to be like you know you put these on and it's permanent and you can never escape and you're just mesh taped up for life, right? Um, Although, you know, they are supposed to be sort of like binders, right? So I think uh, this is one of those cases where I would say that with a sufficient strength check or whatever, you could break out. Um, I'll have to double check that one, and I'll make sure and put that one on the list of things that we examine in the clarifications. Cool. Uh, okay, a random question on armor that I think is, is worthy of, of mentioning from Raving Dork. He wanted to know, can a droid with heavy armor benefit from the long stride talent? Uh, the talent says you have to be wearing light or no armor, 
but droid armor isn't worn. It's literally part of the droid's body. So would that still apply? Uh, droid armor always still counts for things that apply to wearing certain kinds of armor, right? They've they've got it, therefore they're benefiting from it, therefore they can't use things like long stride. This this makes sense. Uh, I guess moving on the the blaster recharge interface on page fifty five. Uh, we had a question from Mark B. Uh, who asked, this item allows a droid to sacrifice hit points in order to recharge blaster power packs, with the number of hit points being proportional to the die size of the weapon. This item works from an implied assumption that different items have their own unique power packs, but the core rulebook says that all power packs are are generic items that will plug into any device that runs on power packs. So how does this work? Um... There was a, a similar question. question for there was a similar question from I think Rebellion era campaign guide talking yeah. about um, when you strap together power plaques for explosive purposes. Right. Um, hmm. I think that you still the the way I would explain this is that you're you're basically recharging a power pack for use with a specific weapon, right? Like you're you're sort of plugging the whole weapon in to the droid at that point. And that you know something about the way that it draws power from the power pack makes it different. Now, if you wanted to rule that they're all the same, then that's fine. And typically, we do treat power packs as being all the same, like it's a sort of one size fit all, fits all kind of. Um, but since this is allowing you to recharge your power packs in the middle of combat, I think you know it's reasonable to assume that there might be certain limitations on it based on the kind of weapon you've got right now. Recharging power packs in combat is not exactly a common event, but if you go up against someone that has that force power that starts draining energy from mm. power packs, then that that this could be really useful, right? And certainly, you know, I think it's reasonable to assume that in combat there should be some greater limitations on it than than, than normal. Cool. Um, okay, this is a question we had last week that we attempted to answer, but it'd be nice to get your ruling on it. Um, the shield expansion module on page 62, which is the, the cool thing that lets you if, – if you if you sell this on a droid with, with shields, they can like extend their shield bubble out to cover a single adjacent ally. Um, and the question was, okay, what if you use this and you expand your bubble to cover an ally that already has SR, i.e. another droid with SR? Um, what happens? So basically, does SR stack? Oh, sorry. I was talking and didn't have my mic unmuted. Uh, just like DR, SR does not stack. So you use the higher. That makes sense. Yeah, I believe that was the ruling you guys had last week when you were discussing it also. So, Yeah. Just al- now, always, good, always good to get y'all's advice. <laughs> now, one thing I would say is that um, basically if you, you it, it makes sense that if you've used the shield expansion module and that's overlapping uh, with someone else that does have shields, that yours are sort of the ones that are out front and get depleted first. Gotcha. Um, but by strict, by the strictest interpretation of the rules, uh, they do not stack. It's the the highest one applies to that that target. Okay. No, that 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 makes sense. Um, we had one one last equipment question. That I think we're going to have time to that I wanted well wanted to get to because it's fun. Um, from Sky, who had a question about our, your friend and mine, General Grievous. <laughs> and obviously, this is a bit of your opinion, but he wants to know what does General Grievous use 
to rescue himself when he's sucked out into space in Revenge of the Sith. Magnetic hands, or rocket arm, or something else in between. Uh, some people have suggested the, the internal grapple gun on page 60. Just uh, curious to get y'all's opinions on that. I, w- I would say the grapple gun makes the most sense. I mean, that's kind of what it looks like yeah. to me. Patrick? Well, my first thought is the Lucas Initiative, but that's probably not a really good ruling on that. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, um, actually, I think Rodney's spot on with it. Okay. It's, it's the, it's the uh, piece of equipment not listed here, the uh, infamous plot shooter. <laughs> <laughs> it shoots plot at the speed of sound. Yeah, don't worry. That'll be in uh, Galaxy of Intrigue. Nice. nice. <laughs> on page 42, I hope. Certainly. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, wrapping up, uh, getting towards the last uh, half of this book. Okay, well, not the last half, the biggest part. The biggest part of this book was stats galore for the new droids. And Rodney, you you talked earlier about how these stats are different from some of the others we've seen and the fact that they've been structured very differently to include some of the new options available in this book. Um, And before we get into some of that crunch, as a general design question – not surprisingly, Cyril wanted to know. He said, uh, with all the examples in, in both the movies and the EU, how did you guys go about the process of selecting and then narrowing down the droid models that you wanted to include in Chapter 4? And can you give us any examples of droids that may have been left in the warehouse, so to speak? Oof, boy, that's a, that's a big question. Um, so basically, the process of coming up with the droids to go in here was... Part me saying, okay, what are the cool iconic droids that we haven't done yet? And then also part looking for gaps to fill. Uh, As you also know, I'm kind of a fan of somewhat more obscure um, EU references, especially West End Games references. So there's a good chance for me to. Yeah, I know. Shocking, right? (laughs) Never would have. There's a chance for me to sneak in some some good references to, you know, uh, old West End Games products and stuff like that. So. It was really a, a, I don't want to say a complex process, but a, an ongoing process over several months that allowed me to basically distill down this list of, uh, you know, items from a variety of places in the EU. Uh, and then I also, uh, one of the things I specifically wanted to do was make sure that this book included a certain percentage of never-before-seen droids. Um, so you'll notice that there's a lot of droids in here that you may not have heard of. Well, chances are that's because they didn't exist before this book. So um, <laughs> yep. it was a good chance for me to also sort of reward my freelancers and say, hey, you know, you guys are, are working on the Star Wars line. It's time for you to make make your mark on the, uh, the Star Wars universe and uh, give them a chance to create something that was wholly new. So... Uh, basically, I went through. I found all the things, uh, all the droids in the the universe that I thought really needed to be in here. Uh, there were also a few that were added by Lucasfilm. They were like, "Hey, you're doing a droid book. We'd really love to see you uh, do this one." Um, the the ROD uh, roadie droid was specifically requested uh, to be in this book by Lucasfilm. So uh, they nice. occasionally are like, "Hey, you should put this thing in here." Um, and then you know, once I that had that list down, I basically said, "Okay." I want new droids of these very general types. I was like, I want a new pilot droid, and I want a new slicer droid, and I want a new, you know, medic droid or whatever, right? And then I, I let the freelancers take their pick of which ones of those they were going to do, and um, you ended up with the, the with the uh, 
the droids you see in there. Nice. Well, do you both of you guys do you uh, do you have a favorite droid in the book? Oh, Patrick, you have to take this one first. Uh, the first one that's a favorite of mine is actually the RWW series. Um, that one I wrote up uh, pretty much as a dedication to a good friend of mine and was a gaming mentor for me for many, many years. Um, so as a result, um, I took a lot of uh, uh, basically a lot of stuff that we had actually written up as on our own to be used in my own campaign that I have on my website that I actually decided let's give him a, a real boost in this and really basically say thank you in a really big way. And so I wrote that droid up as an entire dedication to him. As a matter of fact, the RWW is basically his initials. So that, I, he really appreciated that. And I, I thought it was just one way of giving back to everything that he did for me. Dude, that's awesome. For me, I think my favorite new droid in the book is the MEV series medical evacuation droid. Uh, Sterling Hershey actually created that one. And nice. uh, it's, uh, I, I think it's a really cool-looking droid. Uh, he actually hand-drew this really nice illustration of the, uh, the droid, which looks remarkably like the one that actually appears in the book. Uh, and it was, it was definitely one of the, droid, the new droids that came out that I was like, wow, this is, you know, this is a really cool addition to the Star Wars universe that I hope you know, appears somewhere else. Um, there's also a few other droids in the book that I'm particularly uh, tickled to have in there. Uh, for example, the uh, G2 series repair droid. That's actually a... Um, uh, it's, it's, it's sort of an obscure Star Wars reference. The G2 series repair droids appear in the uh, entrance and walkthrough areas, the line areas of the Star Tours ride in, yes. in Disneyland Disney World. <laughs> uh, they they actually were they they are called G two droids because they used to be uh, robotic geese from the um, Splash Mountain ride that they yep. stripped stripped the outer parts off of and made into basically droids for this ride and they're kind of you know snarky smart alecky kind of uh, uh, kind of droids but I was I was tickled to get those in there uh, along with the RX series pilot droids there's actually so there's two droids in this book from the Star Tours ride. Yep. I remember um, even um, when I was writing those two particular entries up, I remember going back and remembering those memories of me going through the Star Tours ride and seeing these droids in action. It really kind of brought that home for me. Yeah. It's, they're, they're like the few droids that you've actually you know, seen in real life, and it's really cool. I, uh, I was really happy to get those in here and see if there was any of these other ones that were particularly... Uh, Interesting for me to see go in here. Um, the GX1 series battle droid is from a single issue of the Dark Horse um, Star Wars comics uh, called Star Crash. They're basically these battle droids that are on this distant world that's a very much like a D&D type world. And uh, so I was, I was tickled to get those in the book as well. Um, let's see here. Oh, the uh, MK, MK series maintenance droid. Uh, that's a reference to the uh, X-Wing Alliance game. Um, it's the droid that is the, the sort of the maintenance droid on your ship in X-Wing Alliance. Um, the Model 88 series administration droid was from Jedi Knight, uh, 8088, the uh, droid information broker. That's right, yeah. yeah. So lots of kind of more obscure droids that I was able to 
you know, pull out. And also part of the reason I picked those was that it gave us a lot of room to sort of talk about them and define things that, that we didn't, you, know, you might not have on a, on a droid that had a lot more of a history. Nice. Pretty cool. The T4 turret droid is from an old PlayStation 1 game called Jedi Power Battles. Yep. Oh, man, I vaguely remember that. I still yeah. got it. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, see? See, we, we love us <laughs> the obscure stuff. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> see, look at this stuff in a whole new light. I love it. Um, okay, we did have... Uh, one or one and a half crunchy questions regarding the the codex itself from Rob Shanti, um, and the first one he had was regarding the the DT sixty destructor battle droid on page eighty six, and in particular he had a question about the the barrage special feature the droid had, which basically the fluff text says that it it fires off three grenades and this effect happens. He wanted to know if if the effect happened in addition to the grenade damage, like it's actually firing off three grenades, or is that just fluffy? Um, because basically it's, it's like a droid's version of, uh, of, um, of tactical fire, in, in essence, when, the, when, they, when, they, when, he, when it fires off the barrage. Right. Uh, I believe... Let's see here. Yes. So I believe it is uh, basically he, he's making three range, you know ranged attacks against three adjacent opponents to sort of you know pop 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 drop out these grenades really fast uh, and so they are normal attacks just not uh, they just also have this other benefit on top of them it's a full round action to do it but yeah well, there we go okay yeah, cool that that was the original intention behind the write up on that. And he can do it, looks like, four times over the course of an encounter. So, Wow, that's awesome. That's a heck of a, heck of a droid. Um, Thank the you. Other, oh, you're more than welcome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other question uh, Rob had kind of alluded back to something you talked about earlier, guys. Um, he says, you know, a lot of the full stat blocks for droids contain these, these special features that don't appear as protocols or otherwise in, in the abbreviated protocol stat blocks. Does that mean when you're using that, that droid protocol rules um, that the droids no longer have access to those special features? Uh, by default, yes, um, because they are stripped down and simplified. But that's why when we talk about the droid uh, protocol stuff, we, we say to the game master, look, this is actually the, the protocols rules are... They, they don't replace the initial stat block. They are just the thing that you give to the player in place of giving them a full stat block, right? Yeah. Uh, so the droid still has all those things. They just may not come into play necessarily, you know, as an active thing that a player does. That makes sense. Also, there are children in the background, apparently. That, that's my daughter. <laughs> we'll tell her hello. How did her, how did her game of Monopoly go? Uh, she's back into it, and she's making her way around the board. All right. Park Place and Boardwalk. Go for it. <laughs> uh, Monopoly, the game that killed fun. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, as as uh, Brian and Andy say in, uh, on Game On, the, uh, the king of Ameritrash games. Yeah, That's yeah. true. It, it very much is. It, it very much is. Um. Well, guys, th that's kind of it for uh, the book questions we got in. I mean, we've had some great discussion, and 
I, I don't know. I think I think a lot of people may have picked up this book, and just from the forum responses I've seen, people who have really delved into it have been like they've come away from it just like whoa, like this this can totally change the way I play, even if I'm not playing a droid. Just the the options for a character owning a droid, working with a droid, playing a droid, they can really change the way we play. And I think I think droids have. You know, a comment you made earlier, a lot of people don't play with droids because it can become a bit of a headache for the game master as well as the player. And there are the new mechanics in here, the, the new systems, the new options presented can make that a heck of a lot easier. And I, I guess I just want to encourage anyone who's listening to this to go out and check out the book because, for Pete's sake, it's more than just Big Book of Droids. And that's almost what I was expecting when I picked it up, and I was so surprised when I started reading. Um, so bra- bravo, gentlemen. Bravo. Thank you for taking the time to come on and answer our questions about this. No, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Now, oh, is that the music, the sad music? Well, we did We did have a couple questions that were not book-related. Maybe one or, or two, if you guys had time. I know you got to go soon. Well, I, I hear the sad music. I don't know if that means that Dave's cutting us off or not. No, not really. Okay. Well, seeing as how it's it's only five days till Christmas... I thought that I might give you guys a Christmas present today. Oh, I was hoping you might. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps wow. a, a Christmas present in the vein of a little galaxy entry preview. Oh, Ooh. that would be fantastic. <laughs> that's that's a happy a music. show to remember. It's the happy music. <laughs> oh, yes, dude. Yes, the, please. Thank you. Merry Christmas to us all. Yeah, I, I actually finally got my my the first run copies of uh, Galaxy Venture again, which you know, that means that I had to go like fight somebody for one of the first run copies. But I managed to get one, <laughs> and I I figured you know I always ask for a couple of page numbers to read, and, and the same two always seem to come up. So what I'm going to do this time is I'm just going to tell you what's on pages 66 and 42 of the book, and then I'm going <laughs> to let your audience pick two more. Now I'm not in the chat room tonight. So I'm going to let you guys uh, pick the other two after I give you what's on pages 66 and 42. Okay? Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. So page 66 is in the middle of the equipment chapter. And it happens to be a page that has the ranged weapons table on it. But the descriptive text there is actually for a section on poisons and toxins. um, In which you will find such gems as the Deveronian blood poison, or Urch poison, or Trihexalon from the Jedi uh, Starfighter game. So there's some brand new, uh, brand new poisons for your uh, your poisoner characters to play with. Nice. Now, page very 42, nice. on the other hand, is in the very early sections of our skill challenges chapter, uh, and it's not very exciting, which is why I wanted to go ahead and give you guys a couple of extra. Uh, extra page picks, but um, that page has our section on setting skill DCs and um, why certain checks are harder at higher levels and stuff like that. It does feature a uh, a great movie still of Han Solo on the back of a Tauntaun, so you know you've got that to look for. Nice, beautiful. <clears throat> All right, so since since uh, Darth GM sent in that um, "Twas the Night Before" podcast, yes, we'll let him choose page one twelve. 112? Yep. All right, let me get over to page 112 here. 
slow going to page 112. Okay. Oh, this is going to be a good one. Page 112 is in the middle of our factions chapter. Uh, and it is a uh, the first page of a two-page spread on the Kashyyyk resistance. Uh, nice. Talking about its goals, methodology, uh, and basically what the Kashyyyk re- resistance has done since the Clone Wars and then on into the uh, Empire era, uh, the, the, the Rebellion era. Uh, it's basically uh, part of a, a larger section of two-page spreads that give you some background on uh, different organizations that you can use to sort of seed your games with a little bit more intrigue and, and secrecy and plots. So it's mostly about you know how the Kashyyyk Resistance is sort of this semi-overt, semi-covert uh, organization that can sometimes do things subtly like engage in sabotage or uh, kidnapping, and then sometimes they just you know, send a whole bunch of Wookiees charging full bore at you to attack. So uh, it's an actually kind of an interesting um, organization that it sort of straddles both the, uh, the the intrigue side of things as well as the violence side of things. Nice. Awesome. All right, you want to uh, give me one more? Um, well, how about page 12? That's where page I was 12. going. Split the difference with these guys going with 10, 12, and 14. See, page twelve is a good choice because that's right in the middle of our uh, of our species chapter. Uh, <laughs> and I was hoping were, that was the that's case. what they were going yes. for too. And uh, page twelve has information on two species on it. it. Has the tail end of the description of the Defel species, Ooh. and the beginning and character illustration for the Fosh species. Hmm. Fosh. Fosh. I know Defel. I'm trying to remember the Fosh, though. Uh, Vergeer from the New Jedi Order books. Oh, d- yeah. yeah! Oh, that's awesome! If there was if there was ever a character that had uh, dangerous secrets, it was Vergeer. So Sarah, I thought, yeah, no I thought she fit rather well here. And then the Defel, of course, being uh, the sneaky, stealthy race that they are, uh, made a good choice for this one as well. Oh, dude, so that's... Oh, that's fantastic! I I gotta remember the Defel from uh, those. Were, those were one of the more brogtastic races from RCR, if I recall correctly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but they were they were certainly quite good in uh, D six Star Wars. Yes. Uh, you just yeah, you just set off multiple nerdgasms in there. <laughs> well, on that disturbing note, I uh, <laughs> just want to say you know thanks for having me. Uh, it's been a great year, and uh, I'm glad that you guys have supported the game as well as you have. And uh, it's uh, it's the least I can do to give back to guys that have given so much to the community so far. So, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Holidays, Happy uh, Hanukkah. Merry Kwanzaa. Merry Kwanzaa. Is it Merry? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's, I happy, think it's happy Kwanzaa. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy Kwanzaa. Okay, yeah, happy Christmas Hanukkah Kwanzaa to you. Right. Right. Christmas Hanukkah Kwanzaa. Right. Right. But most importantly... Happy Life Day. Yes. yes. Happy Life Day. Uh, thanks, Rodney. My pleasure. Awesome. Happy yeah. holidays to all. Well, uh, I think I think that's it. Yeah. Sadly. Now it's really time for the sad panda music because Rodney and <clears throat> 
Oh, mercy. Excuse me. See, do we have time for any post show, Dave? Or are we gonna, we gonna, we gonna shut it down? Yeah, I think we're pretty much gonna call it. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Well, darn it. I was hoping Patrick might be able to stick around for post show. Rodney That's okay. and Patrick. I'm fine with it as you are. I'm gonna have to boogie, but you know, Patrick's a fine substitute for me. Happy Festivus. <laughs> I feel blessed. <laughs> it's a Festivus miracle. It is. It's a Festivus miracle. Feats of strength. Okay. Thank you all for listening. Um, next week, I, I and TG, who TG obviously is not with us tonight. She is uh, being a pregnant wife uh, asleep at the moment. Um, and uh, next week, she and I will both be out of town. But I understand, Dave, there's going to be some type of miraculous well, There show will be, be a holiday extravaganza, which will include names such as Cat, Fiddleback, maybe Hero of Time Beta. But more importantly, Sam Whitwer, co-hosting the episode number 91, the holiday, extrava- if holiday extravaganza strikes back, and uh, we promise to have a pretty fun time with everybody that jumps on board. If Last minute, if you have a bit or something you want to come on the show for, let me know. Uh, most everyone has emailed me already, so I don't have a whole lot of room. You might be able to take one or two more takers if so, if uh, if you so desire. Email me basically what you want to do and what you want to talk about, and if I find it appealing, I will email you back. But don't be don't be you know surprised if I don't, because I'm like that on email. Just ask Fiddleback. <laughs> Patrick, thank you for being on. I wanted to ask you about the game that you've played this afternoon, but we can do that at a later time, I guess. No, that's fine. Either way. <laughs> cool, cool. Rodney, again, thanks as always. Hey, it's my pleasure. Awesome. All right, so for everyone who's been a part of this one. And and everyone who's going to be a part of the next one. <laughs> this is GM Chris wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. That's right. And keep them dice rolling. Hey, this is Bratorian86, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. This is Rang Noll of Dawn of Defiance, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. Too busy working for Nugget the Hut, you know. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com. This podcast and related websites are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or Wizards of the Coast, and are intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at StarWars.com. The official Wizards of the Coast site can be found at Wizards.com. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, D20 logo, D20 system references, all names, pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademark and or copyright of Lucasfilm Limited, Wizards of the Coast, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast and its related website, including graphical, textual, audio, and visual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast. Post show? We call an audible. Ah, love it. Indeed. Well, nice. The the inestimable Rodney Thompson had to jet, but the uh, extra esteemable Patrick Stutzman's able to remain for us, with us for a little while. <laughs> Hello. All right, so dude, you played the Star Wars game this afternoon. Yes, I ran uh, the next session of my Kotor campaign this afternoon. Dude, a Kotor campaign—that's awesome. 
Yeah, having fun with that one. Oh, that's fantastic. How many players in the party? Well, it kind of tends to fluctuate from uh, session to session, but uh, today we had five players. Wow. What kind of party mix are you looking at? Well, it's an all Jedi campaign, actually. So it's um. Dude. Yeah, Kotor, you know, man, yeah. Yeah, I figure with the Kotor campaign, you know, with all the different um, dynamics going on with the Jedi Order at that time, you know, an all Jedi campaign would be a perfect way to go with that. Oh, that sounds like so much fun! Hey, and aren't the uh, aren't the Bruce City Gamers doing a Kotor campaign? Oh, at least so, yes. And they're all they're all Jedi too, so stands to reason. It's hard to not play a Jedi. It's just too much fun. Yeah. I mean, yeah. With with Star Wars, it almost you know, like screams Jedi. So you know, <laughs> go with right. it. How long have you how long have you been running the uh, campaign? Um, it's a monthly session, so you know, we only get together once a month, but, uh, it started up back in July. Wow. So, yeah. You guys have a few sessions under your belt. Uh, dude, I'm, I'm excited because after like a three month hiatus, uh, our, um, like my core group, uh, the, the alternate universe campaign we've been running is finally getting a session in on the second. Um, so I'm just totally, totally stoked. Like, so. totally, man. Like, like totally. Like, totally stoked. <laughs> like, I got this totally wa awesome wave, and it was tubular and stoked. Yeah, man. All right, so Fair. can I interject something here? Always. I just want to send a shout-out. Uh-oh. I spit on my microphone shield. See? That's what happens. When that's I get all excited like that. <laughs> I get all excited like that, and that's what happens with the spit screen or the... Uh, the windscreen, as it is, but anyway, I, I digress. Uh, I want to send a shout-out to uh, the often-mentioned Courtney and her mother, Tammy, um, for getting me a Yoda Santa Claus. <laughs> really? Yeah. He's holding, nice. in, instead of a wooden cane, he's got a candy cane, but it's Yoda Santa. Proudly uh, proudly displayed at the very beginning, at the very entrance of uh, my little foyer. And, uh, yeah. So it was awesome. It's fantastic. Our sugar dish. I ended up with a Yoda keychain uh, for a white elephant uh, gift last night. Dude, that's very awesome. Nice. Which is always very, See? very nice. Even even the kids agree. Yes. Yeah. Hold on a second. Hardkill wants to know what I'm eating, and I have uh, laughing cow cheese. Oh, that stuff's so good. That I'm eating with like these, uh, they're like these little crackers that have like a sesame seed. They're like sesame seed crackers. They're real thin and really crunchy. Yummy. Very, very nice. So I'm most pleased with the gifts that TG and I took to this Christmas party last night. Uh, because obviously it was a white elephant or, or a dirty Santa, you know, where you bring gag gifts. They're supposed to be repulsive and very, very funny right. or, or cute. And did you, you get kind of did, did you get the handy pants? I couldn't get them shipped in time. Oh, but okay. I found something just as good. Two things actually. The first was a pimp cup, a pimp chalice. You know the the giant gold cup, you know, encrusted with rhinestones and all that that like little John carries and stuff. You know, um, and in, in rhinestones on the cup, it spelled out the word pimp. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. That was a huge hit. 
The other was a random thing I found at, uh, God, I think it was like Spencer's, and it was called Jingle Jugs. And it's very, very obscene. It was a, it was a, a rack of, of latex boobs, breasts that were covered by like a thin garment and were mounted like, like you would like, you know, like the talking fish, you know, the singing fish. And uh, you'd push the button and they would move up and down and vibrate and the nipples would go in and out and it would, they would whistle a Christmas tune. <laughs> um, that was 10 bucks and it was well worth it. Dude. Yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> Echo Base is like God. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah, dude. It, it it was. I saw it and I couldn't not. I couldn't not get it. It was just one of those. Oh, because I had in my hands the pimp cup and then something that was just silly, stupid. It was a uh, a notebook, like a spiral notebook. Like remember the notebooks you had when you were a kid in grade school that had the the cool colored covers and all that. And yeah. the cover was a picture of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and the the title was. Turtles don't do drugs, and that was so kitsch. I, I had to get it, and so I had the pimp cup and my turtles don't do drugs notebook, and I saw the jingle jugs, and I couldn't pass that up. <laughs> I would have made something like that. I would be sleeping in the car. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was a couple of those reactions at the party. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, what are you gonna do? Why do you? What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? The other really creative gifts that I saw delivered were, um, oh yeah, somebody packaged up a box of wine, <laughs> 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 like you know the nasty acid, like the Franzia, you know, like 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 a Chablis, like a pink Chablis in a box. <laughs> that was great, um, absolutely fantastic. No, it was a, it was a, it was good times all around that were had. <laughs> A box of wine. <laughs> the, the first thing people said when it was open up was like, "Wow, classy." <laughs> like, dude, that's that's so classy. Oh man, just nothing exudes class like a box of wine. <laughs> oh man. Oh, so I hear your kids in the background, Patrick. You have you have kids? I have two uh, lovely young girls. Awesome. Yep. Um, I have my uh, 12-year-old uh, named Alex. She's currently on the other computer doing something. <laughs> oh, she's on her Facebook profile. Of course Shia. she is. Shocker. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and my youngest, uh, five, she'll be turning six here in three months, is Rebecca. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Rebecca. That's so back. awesome. Oh, that's that's fantastic. Any uh, any tips for an up and coming dad? Cherish every second with them. Like the time just goes by way too fast. I mean, Alex is twelve right now, and it just seems like yesterday I saw her born. And I, <laughs> yeah, honestly, I don't want her to grow up. <laughs> but I know, man. I I can't stop it. Next thing I know, she's gonna be going off to college, and I I don't want to rush it. I know. My last blink, my last blink, my daughter was in fourth grade and getting ready for middle school. And uh, my next blink now, of course, she's getting ready for high school, and I fear my next blink is college. Uh We're already, you know, starting to talk to coaches. So it's, it's, uh, man, it's something. It's It's already time. It's already time to start planning college for her as a ninth grader. 
is. Yeah. But you know, it occurs to me, Dave, that this is the ample opportunity to get a bumper from our good friend Patrick Stutzman. Yes, indeed, it is. Oh, me? From yes, you. you. <laughs> yes, this is this is what we call the wacky radio liner. And uh, and I fear we created a monster because it's really what we're doing is a liner, not a bumper. And, true. You know, so you know when we say it, we we mean liner. So all you uh, radio uh, aficionados out there, just say, just just to say, we we set that we we kind of we kind of level set with the wrong terminology. So there you go. Which I was corrected, you know, of course, quite some time ago, but I forget who it was. <laughs> anyway, so the wacky radio liner is this: basically, you identify yourself, tell us who you are, what you do, whatever you want to do, and utter the phrase somewhere in your extemporaneous speaking. I never listen to the Order sixty six podcast. And if you are like Sterling Hershey, who's no longer in the chat room, it'll take you seven times to do it. <laughs> well, hopefully, it don't take that long. Yes, indeed. Uh, Article's got a suggestion. I'm not sure how well we'll be able to pull it off, but um, we can try. Yeah, well, we could. We could certainly do two bumpers as well. Oh, of course we can. Okay. So well, we're ready when you are, sir. All right. Well, I'll give my first one a shot here. Um, Hi, my name is Patrick Stutzman, and I do not listen to the Order 66 podcast. Are you kidding? I've got two girls at home. I don't have time to do anything. See? Boom. Asses in seats right there. See? <laughs> if Whitworth had done something half as funny, our ratings would have spiked. But he didn't. But he didn't God, because he punk. choked. He choked. Punk. Do you think uh, you think Rebecca might be up to giving us a bumper? Rebecca, do you want to try a bumper? Oh, boy. Say hi. My name is Rebecca Stutzman. I do not listen to the Order 66 podcast. I can't say that. <laughs> it's, okay. it's okay. It's okay. Okay. Hi, my name is Rebecca Dutchman, and I do not listen to the Order 66 broadcast. <laughs> That's great. Perfect. Oh, Alex is the 12-year-old. She can do What's it. What's up? My name is Alex Dutchman, a.k.a. Bob, and I would never listen to the Order 66 podcast. I mean, who would? It's, it's weird. <laughs> Perfect 12-year-old right there is what that was. Beautiful. Goodbye. I, I fear I stepped on her at the beginning, though. <laughs> nah, you're fine. Just feel, feeling of overwhelming stuff. Oh, really? That's awesome. But, yeah, yeah, I think you made their evening. Well, awesome. See, they can hear themselves later. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have the podcast uploaded and well I guess it's well they're not going to school tomorrow, are they? They're they should nope. be out of school, right? Actually yeah. have the day off. I have sixteen days off. <laughs> and she's counting them down one by one. Of course. <laughs> I would too. Fantastic. Well awesome. Awesome, awesome. All right, so um the Stars won yesterday and the Cowboys won too, and, and that's just amazing because neither one of them should have won like their games. Yeah, you know, I was. You and I were at that Stars game. Yes, we and, were. Uh, that that was a fun, fun, fun game. Yep, yep, it was. So, all right, to the 280 of you in the chat room, we are very, very sorry that we started so late. Uh, I had family commitments. Basically, had to choose between my family and another party for a coworker that I uh, was unable to attend. And and uh, if you listen to this podcast, uh, and you know who you are, I'm very sorry for missing that, but. Uh, in any event, 
you guys, you know, stay cool, like, you know, like, totally. Yeah, what he said. 